We are studying friendship. We began this study last week seeing something of the importance of this issue. There is a great deal about friendship in the Bible and in the wisdom literature that we've been studying for the last year or so. The book of Proverbs, the book of Ecclesiastes, also other books like Job uh, are in this category. They have a lot to say about friendship. And one of the things we saw last week is that we are impoverished emotionally and relationally because it's never been easier to make friends fast, but it's never been harder to make fast friends. And so there's... Uh, there's a problem in our society, there's a problem in ministries where we just kind of go through life with a deepening sense of isolation. No one hears me, no one sees me, no one's listening, no one understands me. God has given us the ability to make friends so that those kinds of needs can be met and we can flourish uh, in, in his wisdom. So we're, we're opening up this subject and we're going to take another run at it this morning. We're really talking about not just um, doing uh, something relationally to have more activities or to, uh, to know more people. We're actually talking about joining our lives with the lives of others. And so let's just think about uh, even a definition of friendship this morning. Uh, when we talk about joining our lives with others, we're, we're really saying that we are sharing our lives with others around a shared love. There's something that you find in common with others in, in your life that you love, that you're passionate about, that you pursue, and you find yourself joining your life to other people around those shared loves. And that's really, just in a very generic way, that's what any friendship is. It's both a very good thing, it gives camaraderie around the things that we love, uh, Falcons fans had a lot of camaraderie uh, up until overtime last year. It was going great, and then they, they shared uh, a fair amount of grief. Um, it's, uh, uh, so you know that, uh, that uh, uh, as, as I said last week, uh, that I am the, the number one sports fan in the church. So, you know, we, the, that's, that's not the case. Um, there was no Super Bowl party at my house. It was nap time for me. <laughs> so that's, that's what I did with the, the Super Bowl. But if you love it, you band together and share lots of time, lots of enthusiasm, lots of food around the shared love of football. It's been a learning experience for me to go into the South and spend a lot of time at Southern Seminary, because they actually, you know, we talk about the, the two ordinances of the church, baptism and communion. Southern Baptists have a third ordinance, and it is football. <laughs> they care about football. They are as serious down there about football as they are about doctrine, and that is saying something. <laughs> they will... Uh, you, you, I learned real fast, you do not joke about football uh, with, with those guys. 
because their relationships are bonded around this game. And so this can be a very good thing. It gives you a sense of being included, gives you a sense of, of belonging when you have a, a love that you share with someone in your life. The problem is this has a dark side because if we love the wrong things and we pursue the wrong things passionately, that means we are also going to get shared, we're going to share our lives with those around those uh, wrong loves as well. And so there, there can be something that gets built into our lives where a pattern of sin, a, an addiction, a destructive outlook on life, whatever it may be, however that works itself out in your life, you can actually surround yourselves, yourself with people who share that same passion and who reinforce it in your life so that when it comes time for you to say, I need to be done with this, I need to move on, I need to break this addiction, stop this destructive pattern in my life. When that time comes, you find yourself faced with the reality, I'm losing a whole bunch of friends because I am saying that I don't love that thing anymore. So then what do you do? Who do you hook up with then? Who do you share life with at that point? Uh, all of these things, these questions come to the fore around friendship. We're going to look at both sides of this, the positive and the negative. I'm going to give you the same contrast three times from three different locations in Scripture. The contrast between the good side of friendship and the dark side of friendship and um, we'll see what the scriptures have to say about this reality that we share and join our lives together with people around shared loves, both for well and for ill. We're going to start in Proverbs 7, then we're going to move to Proverbs 1, part of which Dave read for us earlier in the service. And then we're going to go to the New Testament. We're going to see exactly the same contrast in the book of James. So let's dive in to Proverbs chapter 7. Let's talk about befriending. Solomon says this, beginning at verse 1 of chapter 7. My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Now, we've, in studying the book of Proverbs, we have seen this kind of exhortation over and over and over again. You'll see it almost at the beginning of every chapter uh, for the first ten chapters of the book of Proverbs. This is Solomon saying to his son, this is important. I want to get this across to you. Don't forget this. Treasure what I am telling you. And in this instance, Solomon says to his son, here's how I want you to treasure this. Verse 4. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And call insight your intimate friend to keep you from the forbidden woman from the adulteress with her smooth words. Two relationships here, one positive 
and then one negative. Light and dark. Two befriendings going on here. The light is befriending wisdom. The dark is befriending an adulterous person, someone uh, who is not your spouse. So let's look at these. When Solomon wants to say to his son, treasure my teaching, he says, I want you to treat wisdom like your sister in a good way. We can treat our sisters poorly. Uh, I don't have sisters, actually. Um, and so I always kind of wanted a sister. Um, instead, I got my brother. And that was really good for me. He's fantastic. Uh, he's just not my sister, that's all. Uh, and so uh, I don't know what it's like to have a sister, but um, uh, those of you who have sisters, I hope that this is a positive thing where you're saying, my sister is my friend. My sister is somebody I talk to. My sister is somebody, you know, we got sisters right, right here. And, and we, this is somebody I talk to, somebody I spend time with, somebody I work with, somebody I have confidence in, somebody who is loyal to me and who is not going to uh, be unfaithful to me. What Solomon is saying to his son is, Treasure my commandments. Treat God's wisdom as if it were your sister. Someone you look after, treasure, want to spend time with, love, and have confidence in you. Pour your heart out to this person. Now, something that's interesting about this is that wisdom throughout the book of Proverbs is portrayed as a woman. Uh, we saw this when we studied chapter 8 and we'll touch back on that in, in a few minutes. But wisdom is this woman singing a song in the marketplace. It's attractive. It's powerful. It's beautiful, this song. And, and Solomon is saying to his son, wisdom is this way. Wisdom is beautiful. Wisdom is alluring. Wisdom has a sparkle to it. Love wisdom. Treat wisdom like your sister. Parallel with that, call insight your intimate friend. I'm following here the uh, English Standard Version, the way they translate this. The New American Standard Version also translates it this way. Other versions would say, like your near kinsman or uh, your close relative. <clears throat> the word isn't used very often. It could mean either one in this form. But basically the word is this. It comes from the word to know. Treat insight like someone you know well. So that's going to be a close relative. Not the sort of relative that you maybe send cards to or don't send cards to and maybe you see them at the holidays and maybe you avoid them at holidays. Not that kind of relative. This is the close relative, the one you seek out. Or it is that intimate friend, that friend who is so close that she might as well be your relative or might as well be your sister because they're that close to you, that 
um, treasured by you. Call wisdom your sister. Call insight your intimate friend. So what is this saying? You're joining your life to wisdom around a shared love. Not to put it too crassly, you're making friends with wisdom over the shared interests, the football game, if you will, of the things of God and the love of God, the glory of God. And you're joining up with wisdom that way. You're becoming a companion with wisdom. So when Solomon wants to say to his son, treasure my commandments, that's how he puts it. Treat wisdom like someone you know intimately. And the contrast, the dark side of this, is that um, if you treat wisdom this way, wisdom will keep you from the unknown person, the stranger. It puts this in terms of adultery or the forbidden woman, but actually uh, it's really just another very broad word that means unknown, strange, foreign. Um, what is he saying here and what does this say about adultery? Um, <clears throat> what follows in chapter 7 is a description of a young fool basically following an adulterous woman and getting enticed by her uh, and uh, all of the things that she says, all of the alluring ways that she talks to him and tries to entice him and she and Solomon says, I watched this young fool from my roof go down her street and get trapped in her, in her ways. And, and the way he did it, he had no idea that when he entered her house, the dead were in there. And that he was going to end up like one of them. Um, and basically, the root idea of that kind of relationship is, you don't know this person. She looks good. She sounds good. She sure likes you a lot, or appears to. And that's all great on the surface, but you don't know what's behind that. You have no intimacy with that person. So... Entering that kind of relationship around the shared love of physical passion, you don't know what this person is really about. You don't know what's really motivating them to do these things because fundamentally, he's saying to his son, this woman's a stranger to you. She's not your intimate friend. She's not your sister. And she's not your wife, fundamentally. Your wife is the one you know. Your wife is the one who you are intimate with, and so there's safety that comes with that. There's, there's um, love and, and uh, security that comes with that. This other woman, she's a stranger. She's a foreigner to you. You don't know her. If you make wisdom your intimate friend, if you join your life with her, it will keep you from following a stranger and getting used and getting chewed up and spit out. He puts it in these terms. 
but the same would reply in reverse. A man seeking to seduce a woman adulterously. You could flip this around and it would be exactly the same admonition. So, we've got friendship here and what is striking about this is there's something you aspire to, there's something you love. And so you're going to join your life to other people around that shared love. And Solomon here is saying, join your life as a friend to wisdom. And that will keep you from joining your life to others who are strangers to you, who will use you, chew you up, and spit you out. It's powerful advice, fundamental contrast that raises the question, what do you love? What is that thing? What you love determines who you make friends with. And who your friends are is going to set the course for your life. So, what do you love? You know, a lot of times the problems with friendship in our lives is not so much that they're just out and out wrong. A lot of times the problem is just they're shallow. The things we love are simply too shallow. And so we form friendships and relationships around the things that we love, but they're not deep enough. And they don't enrich our lives. And so we end up living our lives on this, this flat, vast plane of mediocrity where we go from one fun time to the next. Nothing ever happens. Nothing ever deepens. It never goes any further. And... More to the point, when you are not fun anymore, the relationship goes away. Okay. That's where it hurts. And that's where superficiality can actually put a knife in your chest. Uh, so there, there are deep things at stake here. That's the first place where we see this contrast. I want to show you exactly the same contrast in Proverbs chapter 1, except it's filled out a little more, and some of the issues are different about what we're being tempted to and what we love. So here's Proverbs chapter 1, and this is a, a big song here, uh, the whole first ten chapters are songs, song lyrics about wisdom, and if you're thinking, boy, Proverbs has a lot of weird things to say in it, and I can't make sense of it a lot of times, if you approach it like song lyrics, you've got it, because they're really throwing out teasers. Think about this, look at it from this angle. Change your perspective on this. Here's what this experience is. That's what song lyrics do. And that's what Proverbs does. So here we get some song lyrics that contrast two friends or two kinds of friendships. In this case, the first one is dark and the second one is light. First one is in verses 8 through 19, and this is what Dave Calkins read for us. It's friendships 
where we're joining our lives to others around temptation to sin and a passion, in this case, for greed. So here's how this rolls out. By the way, this is the first set of instructions in Proverbs, which is saying these are top priority things. You pay attention to what Proverbs and the, the Scriptures say first and what they repeat often. So here's what we get here. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland on your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Well, what might sinners entice me to do? What is an enticement in the first place? An enticement is basically advertising. We're dangling something really glossy, sparkly, and neat in front of you. And we're saying, you deserve this. You ought to have this. So enticement, enticing uh, is, is an act of advertising and salesmanship. If sinners entice you, they dangle something in front of you that looks really, really neat. And if they're saying, you deserve this, you ought to have this. Do not consent. Don't listen to them. And especially don't give your consent to go along with them. What might this be? Verse 11. If they say, for example, Come with us and let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Let, like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. This is talking about the grave. It's talking about killing people. We shall find all precious goods and we shall fill our houses with plunder. We're going to kill people and then we're going to take their stuff. Okay. Actually, that doesn't sound very enticing, does it? it sound, I mean, you'd have to be pretty, pretty sick to view that as an enticement. And here's the thing, that one of the things that in these song lyrics... Solomon is pointing out to his son. They will never say that. They'll say something else. But you've got to have the wit to know what you're listening to. You've got to have the ability to understand what they are really saying. Yeah, they're dangling some sparkling gem in front of you, some wealth, some great gain, and they're talking to your greed but maybe it's a slick guy who's wanting to be your business partner, or maybe it's your boss, or maybe it's your subordinate, your employee. Maybe it's a person who looks really good and sounds like they know what they're talking about. And the more they talk to you, the better it sounds. But you've got to have the wit to know what you're hearing. That in reality, what they're saying is, let's do damage to people and take their stuff. And we'll treat each other right. We'll all have one purse, right? We'll all share and share alike. So you got this problem. This isn't making any sense as stated by Solomon, right? 
if you're going to kill people and take their stuff, why actually would I trust you that you're going to treat me right? Why would I do that? What do you think I am? Stupid? Do you think, yeah, <laughs> just saying. <laughs> yeah. And actually, we're going to come to this, in a moment, not that I'm stupid, we're going to come to what is, uh, uh, what is stupid about this. And uh, what they're saying here is, this is what we're describing, but this is not what we're saying. We're just talking business here. This is just about business transactions. All business is about making money. Everybody should have a little bit of profit, right? Well, what if we do it, what if we conduct our business this way? What if we make a contract with these people, we just don't tell them this little detail? What if we sell them on this property that they're buying and sell them on a share of it? We just don't tell them a couple of little details about what comes later. I know this never happens. You know, what if we just, uh, what if we loan money on the basis of loaned money that is bundled with more loaned money? Let's go for that. One time I asked my um, investment person, one time, I know exactly what it was. It was in the summer of 2008. And I just asked her, um, how do you know what your investments are secured by? How do you know whether the, the money is really loaned on the basis of an asset or whether it's just one of these mortgage-backed securities. Remember those? That's money loaned on the value of loaned money. Oh, we'll make a killing. Well, sounds really good, doesn't it? I mean, when the values are going up and everybody's fat and happy and it's all going well. Yeah, well, I'll have one purse. But then the bubble bursts. Then what happens? Do we all have one purse then? No. So what Solomon is saying is, in your business dealings, and by the way, Solomon is a lover of business and trade and commerce. He loves this because it glorifies God, and it is a good thing for us to engage in these things. Profit and business, these are not criminal enterprises. It's just the fact of the matter is, sinners run these things. That has been all too obvious for a long time. Uh, William F. Buckley once made the observation that the problem with capitalism is capitalists. <laughs> the problem with socialism is Socialism. Uh, so what, what Solomon is describing here is somebody who comes across slick, but what they're actually saying is destructive. And he's saying, don't join your life to them around a shared passion for greed. If that's what you love, these are the relationships you will form. And that will determine the course of your life. What should you form a relationship with? So we get verses 8 through 19, 
and these are the, tempta- the tempting relationships, and it ends up being stupid because um, verse 17 Solomon makes this observation, in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. If you lay your traps out in the open, is anybody going to walk into them? No, we're not stupid. But look at these guys. They walk into their own traps all the time. Their greed snares them constantly. Don't go with them. That's dumb. They set an ambush for their own lives. He who starts a stone rolling will see that stone roll back on him. It's another proverb from another part of the book. So leave those relationships. What should you join your life with? Verse 20 through the end of the chapter says that. And this is not a temptation. This is an invitation. But it's an invitation with uh, some kind of sharp, prickly stuff in the middle of it. And we need to look at that closely. This is wisdom. The woman calling in the street. Wisdom, verse 20, cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. So where is she? At the library? No. She's out there in the hustle and bustle of the marketplace where people are trying to stay afloat, keep their business thriving, and make a buck. That's where she is. And the invitation comes out there. I want you to see the parallel here. In those streets... Sinners will entice you to destruction and greed because you share a passion for unjust gain. And so you join your life with them, your life is going to go one way. But in those same streets, same place, same agenda, get out there and hustle so that you can make some money and thrive. Same place, wisdom is calling. And here's what she says. Verse 22. How long, O simple ones, will you... What are those words? Love being simple. How how long are you going to love this stuff? This third-rate stuff that destroys people, destroys you, like greed, lust, rampaging and fighting to get what you want? How long are you going to love being simple? At that point, a lot of times we would say, well, I don't love being simple. I don't love these things. Uh, I, I I just can't break out of it. I can't stop doing these things. I can't leave my friends. The reality that we need to face is that very often we hate the consequences of being simple and foolish. And we say we hate being simple and foolish. But the reality is we hate it when the consequences come due. 
but being simple and foolish, we still kind of like. Which is why when the consequences are lifted off of us, we go right back to being simple and foolish. Wisdom here is making an invitation. How long are you going to love being simple? How long are you going to go on doing that? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, look at this. I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. That is quite an invitation. Question. If you knew that God would pour out His Spirit to you if you turned and asked Him, if you knew that, would you turn and ask Him? Why wouldn't we do that? This is saying, I'm inviting you to receive everything I've got, all of it. I'll pour it out to you generously. And so wisdom makes this invitation. This is what she's singing in Wall Street. This is what she is crying out on Main Street. This is what she's saying at the big box stores and at the brokers and with the builders. This is what she's saying. How long are you going to love this stuff and join your lives together in friendship with people pursuing these low things? Take your business, give it to me, wisdom. Love me. Treat me like your sister, like your intimate friend. I'll pour out my spirit to you. Then we'll see what comes of your transactions. Then we'll see what comes of your life and of your friendships and relationships. That's quite an invitation. I said there are some sharp things in here. In order to understand these things, I'd like you to think of somebody in your life where you've, you've been there for this person. And you have been a source of strength when they were down. And you have been patient when they were struggling. And you have given them faithful Warnings, look, if you, don't, if you don't turn away from this stuff, this is not going to end well for you. And that person has refused to listen time and time and time again. And time again, you've been there, they get in trouble again, and you're there. No one else is there, but you're there for them. And you're inviting them again, please, just listen to me on this. Do it differently. Don't come at this the same way or the same thing is going to happen and worse. Imagine being in that position and being ignored time and time and time again. Some of you don't have to imagine this. You're saying, just this week <laughs> there was somebody. I, there was an employee and I was telling him, look, you can't keep going this way if you will just listen to me. If you'll just receive the training or a student at your school, whatever it may be, and you genuinely pour your heart and life into this person. 
With that in mind, here's what wisdom says. Verse 24. Because I have called and you refused to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded. Because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. Then you will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. Harsh, right? It's harsh unless you've been in that position of the person saying, please, please listen. And you've poured your heart in, and what comes out, bile, toxicity, folly, mocking. Okay, when you've been in that spot, then you can understand what wisdom is saying here. Okay, you did this. You did it for the 15th time. You structured your life around this passion, this greed, this lust, whatever it may be. You didn't listen again. The house of cards is going to come down. And uh, I think one part of this is that we need to understand that God will not be mocked. God is not codependent with us. He is not sitting back saying, well, boy, I wish they'd do it differently He's not. And the fact that he is not a foolish God does not mean that he is not gracious. In fact, it means he's all the more gracious. He's gracious with me because I keep doing the same stuff over and over again. And so the, the word of God says, please listen and make me your friend. The more I do that, the more I learn. But there is this other side. Call it judgment, call it the wrath of God, whatever it may be. Um, watch verse 29, and this really frames who we're dealing with here. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose, what? The fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You don't have the fear of the Lord. That reality that God will not be mocked. You don't have that. You can't learn wisdom. It just it can't go in because your universe is squishy at the center. And the real universe is not. The real universe is hard reality at the core. And at the core, it's called the holiness of God. So, because you did not have the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel, despised my reproof, therefore they shall eat the fruit of their way and have the fill of their own devices. You'll get what you want. But it's really not what you want. Watch this, verse 32. The simple are killed by their turning away. It's just that, that moment 
of refusal to listen. That's what kills us. And the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. So, what do you love? What are you passionate about? That's what you're going to join your lives with others around. It's really not that other people drag you into doing things that you never wanted to do. It's really not that. It's that we want certain things and we join our lives with people who will help us get them. That's how this works. And part of taking responsibility for our decisions is taking responsibility for what we love. Let me show you this contrast one more time, very quickly. James, chapter 4. If you're saying, that's the Old Testament pastor and they told me I didn't have to listen to that because Jesus obsoleted it, well, let's remember who wisdom is. In Proverbs chapter 8, wisdom is with God from before the creation of the world. Wisdom is the, the, the person who God makes his partner in creating the world. Wisdom designs everything according to the will of God. And wisdom is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. You know what we're really saying? James 4 is going to say this for us. We're really saying that the first friend you need in your life is God. When Solomon says, call wisdom your intimate friend, treat her like your sister, you know what he's saying? Befriend God. Join your life to God around that shared love of his kingdom, his things, his righteousness, his holiness. Join up with him. Make him your friend. Here's James 4 and verse 4. This is very tough. This is the New Testament, so you have to listen to it. <laughs> gotcha. Here's James. He's really going at it. You adulterous people. He's talking to a church here. He brings up what Proverbs 7 brings up, adultery, unfaithfulness. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Don't you know this? What is he saying? Proverbs taught you this, didn't it? So... I'm teaching it to you. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. What is the idea here? Um, first of all, what does he mean by world? Does he mean you can't have any friends who don't go to church 
or don't believe in God? No, that's not what he's talking about. Because he's talking to the church, and he's saying, your friendship with the world, church, is destroying you. So that's not what he's talking about, is it? What does he mean by the world? Chapter 4, verse 1, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Friendship with the world means saying, it's all about me, it's all about my passions, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to satisfy my desires. That's friendship with the world. Is friendship with the world having friends uh, who are in the world and, and don't believe in the Lord Jesus and don't go to... No, that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about Christians at war with each other because they're basically in a lustful passion for whatever, whatever it is they want. They want it and they'll run over anybody to get it. So he says, you've got to choose... If you want to make friends with the world around the shared passions of sin, understand this, James says, you are at war with God. You're rebelling against God. You're at enmity with Him. That's what that word means. So what does he mean? What would friendship, by the, word, by the way, the word here is just that wonderful word phileo. It just means affection. It just means you're real chummy and and friendly with the world, what would it mean to be a friend of God? We'll back up to chapter 3 and verse 16. 316. Where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom that from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. I love dealing with people in heavenly wisdom because I know I'm going to be treated well. Even if there's a big disagreement, I know that I'm going to be treated well. And what James is saying is, if you're a friend of the world and you join yourselves to people around passions and lust and you will fight and do whatever it takes to get what is yours, you're at enmity with God because God's wisdom, the wisdom of heaven, is pure. It's not self-interested. It's peaceable. It's open to reason. It's gentle. And it's without hidden agendas. That's a safe person to deal with. So it brings back the question, what do we love? What we love determines what we're going to join our lives with, who we're going to join our lives with. 
and that sets the course for our lives. What we do flows out of who we have joined our lives in friendship with. So, what do you love? It could be that today you're in the position of saying, Wisdom has been calling to me and I have not been listening. So I want to listen. I want to turn. I want to hear what God has to say. I want to make friends with God's wisdom. And I want to then to join with people who love his wisdom too so that I can turn my life in a different direction. If that's what you're saying... Let's pray together right now. First of all, you're asking in your own heart between you and God, addressing the Lord Jesus' wisdom itself. You're saying, Jesus, I am that sinner who has not listened. But I am listening now. Please forgive me You died for my sins. Please release me from my guilt and pour out your spirit to me so that I can learn your ways. Teach me, give me life, and I will live for you. Please make me your friend. Lord Jesus, if there is someone here praying praying that right now, I ask that you would pour out your spirit upon that person. And that a new passion would drive their life, a passion to glorify and honor you. I pray that they would hear your voice right now, directing them, speaking to them, leading them. And we together, friends in your kingdom, friends with you and with each other, we intercede for those who are troubled this morning, who are disturbed by the course of their life. We pray that you would give them the wisdom that they need. We are here because we are listening. And so we ask you, pour out your wisdom and change us and we will live for you. We pray it in your name and for your sake. Amen.